Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Chris, and it's so great to have you here today for worship. Well, I want to invite you to join us over in the chat or in the comment section and, and respond to the following question. That question is, what do you do when someone blames you for something? What do you do? Do you argue? Do you retreat and run the other way? Do you go and eat some Ben and Jerry's, you get a punching bag or maybe phone a friend. Well, the fact is at some point in our lives, all of us have been blamed for something. But we also have to consider that we too, at some point, have been the blamers. Well, in today's current installment of our sermon series, Blueprints for a Belonging Community, we're going to look at this thing called blame and how we as belongers are challenged by Jesus to live out something that's radically different than the world around us. And so there's someone in your life that has to hear this message today. So go ahead and start a watch party if you're viewing us on Facebook or check in on social media and share the link salemfields.com slash live. You never know who that might impact. And so for the next hour or so, I want to invite you to put aside your to-do list, the things you've been worrying about, and the question of what's for lunch or for dinner, because God is speaking. And perhaps today, maybe today, he needs you to hear something. So let's get ready for worship.
Lift it up. 
by the one fact that we all are in need of Jesus. Each and every single one of us need his grace. Each and every single one of us need his love. And something amazing happens when we come under the blood of Jesus. We are unified no matter what our walk of life is, no matter where we've come from or what our life has looked like. In Christ, we are all one. We are all unified. And so, you know, Pastor James continues his message this morning. He's been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And every single week, I've just imagined what it would have been like to be one of those people sitting on that mountainside. All different walks of life, from all different backgrounds and stories, yet unified in these moments, sitting at the feet of Jesus because he has something for them that draws them in, that they want. And so, man, what if we just, instead of focusing on our differences, we just came under the blood of Jesus and we lifted up that name that is above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we lifted that name high above everything that we see, above everything that tries to divide, and instead we become unified under that, under his grace, and we receive that, and we lift up the praise to him. How beautiful would that look? How would that change our outlook on life? How would that change how we love and interact with others? And so... Let's just take these moments as we continue to draw and as we continue to press in 
to God, press into his presence. I just want to invite you to just allow him in this unifying moment to let your voice rise, to let your life just praise him. Just praise him in these moments and, and just watch how your perspective changes as you get your eyes on Jesus. So can we do that, church? Can we just come together in these moments under the name that is above all names and worship him in spirit and in truth and, and let go of everything and just come in freedom, lay all differences aside and be unified in him? Can we do that with one voice, just lift up the name of Jesus? Can we do that? Amen. Amen.
Let the praise go up as the walls come down. Oh, creation, everything with breath, repeat the sound. All oh, the children, clean as pure hearts, good grace to God. His name is Jesus. Oh. So say why, oh, you heavens, let the praise go up as the walls Everything with breath, repeat the sound. All the children, clean as pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. Oh, sweet wine, it's just sweet wine. Oh, you live Let the praise go up as the walls come down. Oh, creation. pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for your love, your mercy. God, we're so grateful for your kingdom yet to come, that despite what we're facing in this world, we don't have to depend on what's going on around us because we have something greater that is yet to come, and that is your kingdom through your son, Jesus Christ, and his return. So we're grateful for that, God. Lord, I just pray right now that as we just uh, enter this moment of worship and to hear your message, Lord, that we'd be able to set aside any of the baggage and stuff that we might have carried in here, Lord, that might try to get in the way of hearing your word today. Lord, would you speak through your messenger, James, today? Would you deliver that message um, to our hearts and to our minds in such a way that we would walk away so different? God, would you have your, your way as our, our children are in the building worshiping and as our students will go to, to worship uh, here and hear a message just a little bit, Lord, would you just take control of this entire building? And for those that are worshiping with us online, Lord, would you, would you enter into their homes wherever they're at and they're, they're engaged in worship with you, Lord, would you speak to them? 
God, I believe that, and I know and I, I believe by faith that you want to speak to us all today. For we are gathered in a different combination than when we've ever been gathered before, God. So you have gathered your people, and it's not by mistake, but we're here today because you have something for each one of us today. So God, help us to be hearers of that message today. We thank you for what you're doing here, God. We pray for our, our church family in Nigeria and in India and around the world, God, as people are gathered and worshiping in your name to God, way, to God, that you just have your way in this place. We give you all praise and all the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You could all be seated. How's everyone doing this morning? We're doing all right. Some of you are doing a little bit better than others, but hey, we're glad that you're worshiping. Hey, you know what? Um, real quick, I just want us all to give a big shout out to our online uh, community. Uh, we have over 300 people that worship with us every week online, so let's just give them a good, good morning. You know, I, I know it makes a difference. I, I'll just speak to this. You know, it makes a difference. Our online community is just as important as us coming to the building, and, and it makes a difference in the lives. I know it's impacting my family's life back in Illinois. My Uncle Jim, who been, has been in and out of the hospital, he actually had COVID, and the hope that he was getting through the messages and stuff. So I know um, our online community, we, we pray for you. We love you. We're glad you're there worshiping with us. You know, this is a great time for us to pull out our phones and to welcome um, our, our friends and family um, on our social media platforms, to go in there and invite your friends and family to go and, and just check in to let them know where you're worshiping today. So I encourage everyone to, if you have a smartphone, I encourage everyone to pull it out right now. We can we can do that. And if you're worshiping online, you can go online there, go pull it out, go to Facebook and check in. But beyond that, go to the Salem Fields Facebook page and you can click a little button there called Watch Party. And while you're worshiping here um, with us right now, those that are all your, all your friends lists on Facebook and social media, they can be worshiping with you too. Because when you do a watch party, it goes out to all your friends. So if you have 2,000 friends, you have the, the chance to reach 2,000 people by doing a watch party. And you could be worshiping here and they could be checking in there too. So we encourage you to, to use that watch party because a lot of people are connecting online. This is the new day day and age of worship, and we're gonna, we want to tap into that. And so if you're worshiping online with us, we want you to do the same. Go to your Facebook page and click there and, and do a watch party because we want to make sure you're engaged there. We also want you to go um, to our, our page and go to salemfields.com slash contact and fill out a connection card. You know, we don't have our physical connection cards here in the building or online, but you can go to that, that spot and you can fill out the information about uh, prayer requests and things that are going on in your life because we want to best connect with you. We want to best serve you as your pastors, as your church. Whether you're here in the building or you're worshiping online, we want to be there for you. So please go to SalemFields.com slash contact and fill that connection card out today. You know, and in just a moment, we're also going to be taking our tithes and offerings. Well, we don't. I said that, and I've got to correct myself in just a moment. We can take our tithes and offer any time because it's not going to come in a moment because our ushers don't pass buckets anymore. So I caught myself there. Um, but, you know, we can also give uh, faithfully to God through our tithes and offering. We have our um, app. We have our online um, website that you can go to. You can go out to the giving kiosk or that you can also go and text um, your, the amount that you want to give. But I wanted to read a passage of Scripture uh, today um, just about that, about giving, because how important it is. Um, it says this in Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, when we go and we give um, of the cheerful heart and we go beyond our tithes and we go beyond our tithes and we give abundantly in our offerings, it's pleasing to God and it's making a difference in the lives of people. 
And, and I'll say the faithfulness of your giving makes a difference in the lives of people that are worshiping online because we would not be able to do that if it was not for the faithful giving. Um, and so those, it goes far-reaching. And so give with a cheerful heart today um, and your tithes and offerings. You know, we have a lot of things that are going on at Salem Fields. We want to make sure you're staying connected. We have our twilight hike that's happening next Saturday, uh, Sunday, October 25th. You can all meet at Alum Springs um, Park. Um, you can email Pastor Chris at chris at salemfields.com to get all the information and details about that. But we want you to go and be a part of that. No better way to go out and explore God's majesty and creation than on a hike, especially as the leaves are changing and things are beautiful all around. It's going to be about a three-mile hike, um, and I think you'll just really enjoy that, getting out in the evening, the cool, brisk air. I mean, I love waking up this morning and it was just chilly. I, I'm, a, I'm a cold person by nature. I love it. And so, um, so go out there and enjoy that. You know, there's something to be said about getting out into nature and experiencing and seeing what it is that God created. I mean, that's his beauty and his majesty. When you go and see the mountains or the waves crashing on the ocean, that's him that created that. And so it's awesome to be able to worship that way. Hey, we also have our, our movie night, our movie night on Halloween. It's going to be from 530 to 930. We are in need of volunteers. We want to be able to pull this off. This is a way we reach out into our community and make the difference in lives of people. But also, um, it's a great time to invite your family and friends to come and be a part of something. So if you want to be part of that and you want to sign up for those movies, you go to salemfields.com movies and uh, be able to register for the movie. But we, we want you to get out there and invite your family, friends, and neighbors to be a part of that. And you know what? We really want you to go out there and tell the people that, with kids to say, you know, if they come to the movie, they get a bag of candy. We're going to give them candy in a bag that's filled already, so that way they don't have to worry about going out and missing out on trick-or-treating. So I think that's pretty cool. You can come here and not just get one piece of candy, but an entire bag. Um, so be a part of that. Tell people that are going on. You know, if you're worshiping on, us online and you're in the area, we would love to have you here on the campus those, during those events, and so we want to make sure you stay connected. If you have ever any questions about what's going on here at Salem Fields, be sure to email us at info at salemfields.com. We're going to continue to worship.
into a greater understanding of who you are and what you're calling us to God. God, we don't want to rush out of these moments that we have with you. God, we just want to sit in your presence. We just want to experience you, God, to meet with you, Lord. So I just pray, God, that you would have your way, Lord. Be with Pastor James as he delivers the message. Bless this time. God, for it is yours, and we give you all honor all glory and all praise. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Blame Game. Are you excited today to join us for this wonderful game? I'm your host, and it's your fault if you don't know my name. Well, let's meet our first contestant. How about that? He is a husband and a father, retired construction manager of the Washington Beltway for 50 years. And he was president of his homeowners association until he lit a mascot of the Washington Redskins in effigy on his front lawn. <laughs> meet John Park. Let's give a round of applause for John today. So, so, John, tell me, what was it like working for 50 years on Beltway construction? 
Well, you know, construction around here is like a never-ending story. You know? Kind of like the Washington Redskins losing streak. You know, it's it, all downhill from now, it's, baby. It's the Who Washington football go? team. I can't believe they it. have a new name, the Washington football team. I'm old school. Okay. Okay, well, well then, moving on. Our next contestant is a mom of three and manager of a software company. She built with her own hands without her sister's help. She is known by her friends as Better Than Marsha, and her name is Jan Morgenstern. Let's give Jan a nice welcome. So, so Jan, tell me the origins of your very peculiar nickname. Uh, well, you know, ever since my sister was born, she's taken everything from me. Everything that's gone wrong is my sister Marsha's fault, so. Well, that's very interesting. Some good stuff for therapy, I would agree. Well, our first round is going to be worth 50 points, and our first category is historic accidents. So are you ready? Get your hand ready for that buzzer here. Okay. So your first question is, who was responsible for the lights going out during Super Bowl 47? <gasps> Washington Redskins. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's incorrect, John, so the opportunity goes to Jan. Opportunity? You wanna talk about opportunity? How about all the opportunities my sister stole from me? I had to build my company from the ground up, no thanks to Marsha. I will take that as an I don't know. The answer is the blackout of Super Bowl 47 was caused by sensing equipment that determined an abnormality in the system. Who would have thought? Well, moving on to the next question. Who is, who was, ready? Who was responsible for the Chicago fire of 1871? That's Marsha. I know, definitely Marsha. Oh, come on, lady. Your sister wasn't even born then. I'm sorry, Jan, that's incorrect. So, John, this is your chance. Oh, 1871, a fire in Chicago. Let me see. The first collegiate football season was 1869 between Princeton and Rutgers. So uh, I bet there's still some relatives from those games that are still have some, something to do with the Washington Redskins. Boom. I'm sorry, John, that is incorrect. The answer was a cow. Oh, I told you. Oh. It was Marsha. I told you. <laughs> Oh my, well, oh, you know what that sound means. That means it's on for the lightning round. Right. So that means that I give you a problem and you tell us who you feel is responsible. Okay. Okay, so Jan, you're first for okay. this. Okay, ready? ready, lightning round. Okay, the count of three, ready? Right. One, two, three. Not getting first chair in band. Marsha. Drugs. Marsha. Inflation. Marsha. Gridlock at Occoquan. Marsha. Taco Bell deciding to take away Mexican pizza. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Okay, wonderful. Good job there. So on a blame scale, you scored a perfect 100 points. Okay, now it's your turn, John. Are you ready? Okay, I think he is. Okay, Super Bowl 26. Redskins. Global warming. Redskins. Unemployment. Redskins. Trent Williams. Redskins. RG3 breaking his leg. Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> On a blame scale, you scored 100 yeah. as well. So congratulations, you both. This is a tie. And you know what we do for ties here? We give you tchotchkes from Pastor James's office. So this is for you. There you go. This is for you. Some nice 
awards there. So thank you guys so much for playing and be sure to tune in next week. But until then, everybody, until then, remember, when something goes wrong in your life, it's not your fault because I blame you. Yeah, but it's your fault I didn't win. The game, the blame game, has been going on for time and eternity. Uh, and it's the game uh, that's almost the oldest game in the world. But there's one that is a little bit older than that. Um, and the only one that's older is a game called Hide and Seek. Maybe you will remember how these games and when these games st started. So if you go to Genesis and you look in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, you will discover the two oldest games uh, in the world. And the, the story goes something like this. God creates the world. He creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates everything that we see, the moon and the stars, the grass, the animals, everything that you see. He creates it all, and, and when he finishes creating, creating and last but not least he creates his crowning achievement humanity and he creates a man and he calls him Adam and he says to Adam Adam listen your job is to take care of all this that I created to kind of cultivate it and to work it and to just love on this creation everything that I created and he says to Adam uh, you can eat of anything in this garden you can eat of any tree in the garden that you want but the tree at the center of the garden, you must not eat. It's the tree of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat of that. And when, as God goes on, he sees that all the things that he created, he has no companion for Adam. And so he decides that he's going to make Adam a companion. So he puts Adam into a deep sleep and takes his rib and he makes a woman. And Adam sees her and Adam is smitten with this woman and he says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone and, and, and everything is going great. But then one day, one day, Eve is walking in the garden and she sees the tree. She sees a tree and a serpent, a crafty snake comes up to her and says to her, did God say you can't eat of any trees in the garden? Of course, that was a twisting of God's words. And she says, no, he didn't say that. He said we could eat of any tree except a tree in the center of the garden. And the snake says to her, oh, you won't die. I know God said you'll die, but you won't die. What will happen is your eyes will be open and you'll know good from evil. And when Eve seeing that it was good to eat and it was good for her knowing stuff, she took it and ate it and she gave it to Adam and the Bible says that immediately they knew they were naked and they went and sewed some clothes together out of fig leaves and they hid and the God who had met with them the God who had walked with them the God who created them who walked with them in the cool of the night came to walk with them and they were hiding and he said Adam Eve where are you and they said to him, we saw you and we knew we were naked, so we hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Of course he knew. And he went to Adam and said, Adam, what have you done? 
And Adam said, that woman that you gave me, she gave it to me to eat. And he went to Eve and said, what have you done? And he said, that serpent that you created tempted me. And so the first two games that we're still playing this very day happened one day in the garden, hide and seek, and the blame game. In this continuation of our message series, Blueprints of a Belonging Community, Discernment on a Mountain, Jesus, our rabbi, our teacher, turns our attention to community. And, and, and he begins to uh, talk about things in community, things that make for a wholesome and a good community, and things that make for a rotten community. And if I were to take, take Jesus' message and put it into a Twitter version, it would go something like this, because we're going to begin with the end in mind today. Don't spend your time trying to manage and control others by blaming and condemning and forcing your way on them. Doing so just creates a boomeranging community of judgment. Instead, of, instead cultivate a community of agape love by learning to ask of God and others. As you do, you will begin to live out the kingdom ethic of a golden rule redo. You know, I, uh, I spent some time in a therapist a little while in my life, and during one of my first visits, the therapist made this assessment. She said, you're, very, you're a very judgmental person. Now, now, I could have seen her for all my life and, and would have been grateful if she had not said that to me. I mean, me judgmental? No way. I mean, I'm a pastor, I'm a loving husband, a responsible father, an uncle, a, a, a nephew. I mean, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, a, a religion major. I mean, how could I be judgmental? And then I begin to think, you know what? I bet, I bet she has issues with authority and accountability. <laughs> thus provide, thus proving <laughs> Her point that I'm judgmental. So Jesus starts at the, he starts at the, at the end. Listen to the end of our passage because we're going to begin there this morning. Here's a simple rule. Matthew 7, 12. Here's a simple rule of thumb. Guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up all God's law and prophets and this is what you get. So Jesus begins to talk about this agape community, this community that's put together by God's love. If you've been in the church for a little while or you're out there in the world, I think most of us would say we would love to live in a community in a world where people are treated well and loved. A world where people get along, where faults are forgiven, and hate and bitterness and strife and war and murder and abuse and rape and all that kind of stuff is a thing of the past. Anybody want to live in a world like that? I know I do. That's the kind of world I want to live in. But, but if you've been around the church, we, we know that that kind of world is prophesied about at the end of time. John the Revelator says this in Revelations 21.3, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his 
his home with men and women. There is people. He's their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. And so we look forward to this, this moment in, in our history, this moment in eternity where all of that stuff will be gone. But here's the good news. God has already moved into the neighborhood through Jesus, and he longs for his kingdom to come as above, so below. And, and we can experience this agape community. We can experience this community of agape love right here and right now, and not just in some time that's away from now. It all depends on how you and I live our lives. You know, most of us think that the world is all messed up because of someone else's choices, because of someone else's actions, because of what someone else has done. And, and we just kind of, we kind of think to ourselves that those people would get themselves together if they would make better choices if they would make better decisions, if they, if, they would, if they would just be like me, then everything would be all right. The reality is that the world, for this to come, for this agape community to happen, it will be because you and I decide to live our lives differently. That our choices and our decisions will make for a community of agape or a community of chaos today. This week, in your homes, at your jobs, uh, you will either bring about a judgmental, condemning, manipulative community of contempt or distrust, or your choices will bring about a community of hope and usher in God's kingdom where his will is done as above, so below. So now that we know that, now that we understand that what we do and how we live and how we respond will either bring about a kingdom of agape or chaos, what are the things, if that's our goal, what are the things that are keeping us from achieving that kingdom? Here's the reality. You can't have a kingdom or a community of agape, of, of agape when you have a community of judgment. And so Matthew goes on to record Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in this way. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, don't Pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling show mentality. All over again, playing holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe the ugly sneer off of your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. So Jesus begins to talk about this community. He begins to, he, he, he begins to continue on talking about the faux versus the authentic, the real versus the fake. And so he says, we can be a part of bringing about a condemning community. He says to his belongers then and says to us today, there's no need to one-up each other in the kingdom. As you deal with family, as we deal with friends, as we deal with co-workers, as, as we deal with those all around us, those who live next door, remember that we are citizens of the kingdom transformed by grace 
And because we have not been condemned, then we're called not to condemn other people because all of us have a, a place in our lives. All of us have a moment in our lives. All of us have a time in our lives when God could have condemned us, could have wiped us off the map, could have been done with us, could have decided you, that we were going to hell in a handbasket, and he did not do that. What he did is that instead of condemning us is he provided grace for us, and that grace transformed us from the inside out, and we're able to be here today. And so he says, because I did not condemn you, you don't condemn other people. Because we all come to the cross in one position, kneeling. He says, don't spend your time putting others down to build yourself up. That's how those who don't know anything about grace act. If you understand that, that because of God's grace, God's unmerited favor, that's what grace means. I, I don't earn it. I, I couldn't bootstrap it. I couldn't pay for it. I couldn't act enough. I couldn't give enough. I couldn't go enough. I couldn't serve enough. God just makes it available to me. And because we know that we have been saved by grace, then we don't need to put others down to lift ourselves up. He had already said to that crowd, remember, in the beatitude portions of the blueprints, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No less, no more. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You're blessed when you are who you are. There's such a temptation in our world to come and bring our faux selves, to bring our fake selves, to bring the self that we believe that everybody wants to see, to bring the version of ourselves that we think everyone will applaud, to bring the version of ourselves that humanity will look up and say, oh, that's a great person, a great dad, a great mom, a great ch a child, a great parent, an uncle, aunt, whatever. There's so much temptation to bring that and push it forward. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Just come as you are with your habits and your hurts, your failures, your mistakes, your sin, all of this. Just come as you are and you'll receive grace. You'll receive grace. And so Jesus begins to warn his followers, his belonging, his belongers, that if we sow, if we choose this type of community, we will reap what we sow. It's the law of reciprocity at work. If I throw tomatoes out the window, corn is not going to come up. If I throw tomatoes out, tomatoes are going to come up. We say it a thousand ways, but it means the same thing. What you sow is what you reap. What goes around comes around. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Condemnation brings on more condemnations. What you put into the situation is what you're going to get back. Eugene Peterson calls it a boomeranging situation in the message. Have you ever seen a boomerang? Well, you have now. It's one of the tchotchkes that the, that's in my office. So you never know when a tchotchke is going to come up and be useful in the message. 
So this is a boomerang, and uh, it was hand-painted, uh, and it's an authentic boomerang and hand-burnt right there in Australia. Got it from a friend of mine. Uh, Wikipedia says this, a boomerang is a thrown tool typically, typically constructed of a flat airfoil that is designed to spin about on an axis perpendicular to the direction of its flight. A returning boomerang is designed to return to the thrower. Now, I practiced this last week in the auditorium. And I would do it for you, but I'm afraid it will hit somebody and then I get sued, right? And so I'm not trying to get sued, but take my word for it, it works. Um, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus is saying, if you, if you decide that you're going to condemn, that you're going to critique, if you're going to be judgmental, then what happens is that just kind of flows around you. Have you ever been in a situation when you're negative and it seems like nothing but negativity surrounds you? Well, here's the problem. What you use come back to you, but it comes back bigger. So if you're condemning, you're going to be a person condemned. If you're judging people, people will judge you. And Jesus is saying, instead of, instead of sowing, instead of sowing a judgmental, condemning community, what if we were to sow a community of agape love? Jesus was letting us know that what goes around comes around. So he gives us two areas where what we give either produces a condemning community or a loving community. So Paul says it like this in Galatians, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself, you might be in need of forgiveness before the day is out. Paul's planting churches and little small kind of house churches all over Asia Minor. And, and he's, he's kind of instructing them how to live, how to do community in a way that blesses and encourages one another. And so he says to them, you know, if someone falls, don't gloat over it. Don't get excited about it. Restore them gently, realizing that you will you have been restored, or at some point in a journey, you will need to be restored. And the way you restore others will be the way that you are restored. I am so thankful that God has not dealt with me in the manner that I've dealt with others when they have fallen. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God matured me and God's Holy Spirit began to transform me from the inside out so that I deal with people differently than the way I used to deal with them. See, people who condemn others have a huge flaw. They have this inability to notice their own mess. And so Jesus uses some humor, some humor here to show what happens when a person is not able to recognize their own flaws but is more willing to condemn the flaws of others. He talks about a, a smudge and a sear, right? He talks about, uh, uh, you know, someone that might have a, a, a prick in their own hand, but the other person has a log. And he, be talk, he talks about how, how small one thing is, how big the other thing is. And it, it, it's, it's so funny. He uses this humor because he, he's saying, well, how would you... If you have a sneer on your own face, how would you possibly have any credibility to go and help someone with a minor smudge on their face? And so what he basically says is, look at your own face. He, he says this, it, it's this whole traveling show, this whole false thing again, 
Wipe the ugly sneer off your face by the grace of God. Be transformed by the Holy Spirit and, and, and wipe the sneer off your own face and maybe, maybe you'll be able to offer a washcloth to the other person. These words take us back to the heart of Jesus' message. All of us need grace because all of us have blown it. Romans talks about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When I live in contempt of others, the ugly sneer on my face first inflates the smudge of my brother. So, so when I have, when, when I live in contempt, it takes the smudge and makes it look bigger than it is. And at, at that same point, I just totally ignore what's going on with, on my own face. And instead of helping another person with his faults, a sneer on my own face creates this judgmental attitude where I can totally forget about what's going on with me and I can focus on the other person. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. Your life is, is all messed up. But it's so much easier to focus our attention on the life of someone else because it makes us feel better about my stuff. So I can say something like this. Well, my life is going a little badly right now, but man, nothing like the neighbors across the street. I mean, their lives are really messed up. I mean, I got a little bit of stuff compared to their big stuff, and God's saying, no, 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 no. You're missing it. Your stuff is big. Your stuff is big. I love this part of the message. Wipe the ugly sneer off your face means that if I want to help another, I must first transcend my own selfish ego. The sneer represents all that keeps me from seeing my own shortcomings, how easy it is to be a condemner. It's so easy to notice what's wrong with someone else without any desire whatsoever to help them. Some of us don't want to help because if we help someone else, then we have nothing to condemn. We have, all we have is our own stuff. All we have is our own shortcomings. And, and, and if someone else gets help, then what are we going to do? We, all we got to do is look at ourselves. But when I, when I, by the grace of God, that I begin to look at myself and I deal with the sneer on my own face, then I have the compassion the movement, movement of the heart and the authenticity to help someone with their own issues. And it's not about me getting a pat on the back and it's not about me lording over or being better than the other person. I authentically, because I know that I have failed and I know that I've been forgiven and I know that I wasn't condemned, it's then that I can go in humility and say, I've been there, and God has helped me, and God can help you. See, without this self-awareness, I'm doomed to condemn and to judge other people without any desire to see them change. In fact, I don't really want to see them change sometimes. You know, one of the things that can be such a trip up for me is this area of pride. Uh, it's almost one of the most insidious of all of these kind of judgment or condemning pride is so insidious. It will convince me that my sneer isn't all that bad 
Or even worse, pride will convince me how good I am at helping other people with the smudges on their face and that I don't need any help myself. This is why Jesus encouraged his listeners then and those who are listening today in the auditorium and online to look inwardly before turning to help others. In other words, honestly, honesty with self creates the possibility of extending compassion to others. Without honesty, my help is too often a veneer for judging and condemning. 2 Corinthians says it like this, if the government of condemnation was impressive, how about the government of affirmation? Bright as the old government was, it, it would look downright dull along the new one. If the makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for eternity? In other words, the law versus grace. Then Jesus begins to talk about a blaming community. When I was growing up, my dad would say, James, I don't want to hear any excuses. And he would say that because I had an excuse for everything. If I, if I wasn't doing well in school, it was the teacher's fault. If I hadn't done my chores, it was someone else's day for doing chores. I had an excuse for everything. One of the most used excuses in this area is the blame game. Jesus knew exactly what the blame game was all about. It's about passing judgment on someone else. And so he tells this story, and I'm going to read it from Luke 8. 8. It says this, he told the next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses on common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like that tax man there. I fast twice, twice a week. I tithe on all my income. But the Bible says, meanwhile, the tax man slumped in his shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus commented, this, this tax man, not the other, went home, made right before God. Because if you walk around with your nose in the air, you'll end up flat on your face. But if you're content in simply being yourself, you will become more than yourself. You say, James, James. no, no, no. James, you, just this guy, this guy tithed. This guy fasted. This guy went to church. This guy served. This guy was a nice, upstanding guy in the community. He was the president of the HOA. He did all the right things. How, does the, how in the world does this guy go right before God and this guy does not? And Jesus saying, if you do all that, if you do all that and you condemn and you judge and you blame, then you're not right before God. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And then he talks about a forcing community. Matthew 7, 6 says this, don't be flipped with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no honor to God. Don't reduce his mysteries to slogans. And trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Again, Jesus says, don't force your way 
on others. It's just another way of judging and condemning and, and different things like that. It, it, even if it's the good stuff. See, we, 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 see, we think to ourselves, well, I'm not going to force the bad stuff, but what about the good stuff? And so sometimes we, we have people who are Christians who go around forcing Christianity on people. And that's not the way that God did it for us. God makes his grace available to us, but he's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force us. Back in the garden, God could have said, listen, not, you're not going to eat of that tree, and I'm going to make sure you don't eat of that tree. But he gives them free will. He gives them free will so they have the ability, if they choose to, to go and eat of that tree. And in our own faith tradition, in our own faith journey, God is a perfect judge. He doesn't drop kick us through the goalposts of heaven. He gives us an opportunity, and we have to decide to take him up on the opportunity. The reality of the message is this. We present our story, and God's Spirit does the work through grace. We are people of grace. In the beginning of the blueprints, Jesus does not force his kingdom on the people. Remember, he says that the blessings of, of the of Remember he said in the blessings or the beatitudes are not attitudes to put on someone or to squeeze someone into the mode of an attitude, but real, ra rather they're simply an illustration of who we are and where we come. And he was saying everybody is available. Everyone has an opportunity to receive grace. It's not about forcing. It's not about tricking. It's not about condemning others into the kingdom. All of my immediate family members, except for my twin sisters, don't really have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been praying for 30 years that they might know Jesus. And I, and I would do anything. I would do anything to make that happen. But I would never force them into the kingdom because God didn't force me into the kingdom. And then he goes on to talk about a controlling community. Don't pick on people's jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. The hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away life, and you'll find your life giving back, but not merely giving back, but giving back with bonus and blessing. Critique is all about control. See, see there's, there's a thing called being critical uh, uh, thinking-wise. There's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're, we're made. We're made to love God with our minds, and so we can think critically. But you know, and I know both, that there's a criticism of spirit that destroys and destructs the community. And, and what happens is people want to say, well, I'm not being critical of spirit. I'm, I'm just thinking critically. As they tear people down, as they judge people, as they condemn people, is there a place? Is there a place in our world for correction? Of course there is. But Paul says it like this. Uh, Paul said, it's for those who are truly spiritual. Number two, it's not with the attitude to straighten them out because I can't straighten anybody out, right? And number three, it must be done remembering that, but there for, for the grace of God go I. And then a community of manipulation. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love them both. See, this criticism that we use, it's, it's all about manipulation. 
And, and, and Jesus is saying, you don't need to manipulate, you don't need to condemn, you don't need to judge, you don't need to be critical because that boomeranging in community will mess community up. And here's the reality. We're living in a, in a, na in a nation and in a culture right now where it's all boomeranging around. It's this mentality that goes like this. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Right? I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Look at Facebook, look at Instagram, look at the conversations that people are having. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. And, and, and that kind of stuff, there's this boomeranging around, and it's happening so much. It's dividing families, it's dividing churches, it's, it, it's dividing communities. I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Whether you're rich or poor, educated, black or white, whatever the situation is, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. And that kind of is boomeranging around. And we keep on complaining about how partisan we are as a nation and how we seem to not be able to come together. And it's because we've allowed this condemning and judgment and critiquing to happen in our world. And instead of the church being the person that speaks into the culture and speaks into the world, this agape community, we have joined in with the world. And we are also saying, we're right, you're wrong, shut up. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, that all that does is destroy community. And he calls us to something bigger than that. He calls us to something more important than that. He calls us to a life of grace where we realize that, but that the grace of God, God's unmerited favor has made a difference in our life, that, that, that God's unmerited favor has made it possible for us to be where we are. And so we look at the other person, and yeah, we have different values. We have different candidates. We have different ways of viewing things. But we all understand that the grace of God has intersected our lives in such a way that it's changed us. And so instead of resorting to condemning and blaming, critiquing and judging, he calls us to live in what he would call a community of requests. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hiding seat game we're in. If, a child, if, if your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you would never think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children, so don't you think that God who concedes you in love will be even better? And so he says, let's live in a community where we, where we directly ask of God and others. And then James goes and just kind of nails this down for us. He nails where all this condemning and all this judging comes from. Listen to what it says in James 4, 1 through 3, 2. Where do you think all this appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think it just happens? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? 
And then he begins to talk about real faith. Real faith is that instead of fighting, see, he, he talks about the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is all of the stuff that we go through is all about us. And what did we say two weeks ago? Is not about us. And last week we talked about God's got it. And so instead of fighting and, and quarreling and judging and condemning, we, we come into our, our, our faith with this perspective, a real faith with this perspective. God, you have got it, and it's not about me, so I will come to you and I will ask you and I will sit and wait on your answer. And if your answer is yes, great. If your answer is wait, I'm going to wait. If your answer is no, I'm going to accept your answer. And then let's end where we began. Here's a simple rule of thumb. Guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want from people, what you want people to do for you, and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up all God's law and promise, and this is what you get. Remember, we live in the age of grace an age inaugurated by Jesus who has fulfilled the law. He's the one who invites us uh, all who will to come and, and receive his grace and be transformed so that we can do what we can't do on our own. And when his kingdom comes, we experience this community of agape love. When his kingdom takes place in our lives, in our jobs, in our homes, in our situations, then what boomerangs around is love and love and more love. So, so what happens is we move from what I call a golden rule to a titanium rule. So let me give you some of the rules. The iron rule went, worked like this. Do the others before they do to you. I'm going to get you before you get me. And so if you're going to sneak me, if I know you're going to punch me, I'm going to punch you first. I'm going to get the first punch in. The civil rule goes like this. Do to others as they have done to you. You know what? If you, if you treated me poorly, if you cut me off at my knees, I'm going to cut you off at your knees. Fair is only fair. And then the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. The platinum rule do to others as they would have you do to them. You think about this when you buy gifts. You know, I, I, I've been known to buy a gift that I wanted myself. <laughs> I remember I, I was purchasing Rose's car, and I got her this Explorer Sport. Now, all she wanted was Explorer, right? And I got her this Explorer Sport that had all this, had a turbo engine in it, and it, and it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a really nice Explorer. And she's like, James, I, I, I don't need all this. I said, that's all right. You'll be all right with it. Because I wanted to drive it. And I wanted the turbo engine. No, no, no. You do to others as they would have you do to them. But the rule that, that supersedes them all is this rule, the titanium rule. Do to others as Christ has done for you. Man, if we would let that boomerang around, if we would do to others what Christ has done for us, it would change the world. And let me say something to you, people of God, belongers. We are the people who are supposed to be modeling that all around us, on our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our schools, on the ball field, wherever we are. 
doing to others what God has done for us. And because God didn't condemn us when we were all messed out, when we were in the pigsties of our lives, he didn't condemn us. Because God gave us grace when we, when we didn't deserve it, when we were of no use to him whatsoever, because Christ came and died for us, then he calls us to go and boomerang that around everyone that we come in contact with. I am totally convinced if the church lived out this agape love, if the church lived out this rule, titanium rule, that it would change our culture and the world. Because it's not about necessarily what they do out there. It's about what's happening in here. I want to challenge you as belongers in community, as you leave out this week, wherever you go, wherever you're, whatever you're doing, that you will live out that titanium rule, that, that, that titanium rule that, that I would do for others what God in Christ Jesus did for me. And what did he do for me? He loved me, forgave me. He invited me into community with himself. And can I say it like this? He loves me. He forgives me. He invites me into community. Again and again and again. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling us to this titanium rule, for, to calling us to this, this agape community. Where we, where we treat others the way you have treated us. And Father, would you remind us, sometimes we forget how you've treated us. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we've been in the church or we, we, we've been doing religion or spirituality so long that we forget who we were. And sometimes we can assume in ourselves that we've always been this way. We've always been loving and kind and giving and all of this kind of stuff. Remind us, Father, who we were and who we are. Not just the outside stuff, but the inside, because you look at the inside why people look at the outside, and you know our motives and you know our intentions. And so, Father, would you help us, remind us, and Father, the next time we come in contact with someone that the world would condemn, that, that maybe in a, in a time gone by we would judge, we would be critical of, we would manipulate, we would force ourselves on them. Father, remind us that you did not manipulate us, that you, not, you did not critique us, that you, not, that you did not um, force yourself on us, that you did not condemn us and you do not judge us. But you make available your grace and your love. Help us, Father, as we go and do likewise. Now, Father, I never want to leave a service like this without giving an opportunity for people to come know you as Lord and Savior. And so whether you're listening to me online right now or you're in the auditorium, if you do not know the God of agape love, the God that extends his grace to you, the God who went out of his way to bring you back into relationship. You can know that God today. You can pray from the heart as transparently as you can. God, I want to know you. I want to, I want to uh, receive your 
unmerited, your unearned favor on my behalf. Would you forgive me for doing my own thing, running in my own directions, my rebellion, my sin, and would you come live inside me and transform me from the inside out? And I thank you. If you're a person that's a belonger, maybe you've been in the kingdom for 90 years or for a year, and you just need to say, God, I, I'm a, I've been a judging person. I've been a condemning person. I've been a critical person. And that's not who I want to be. So would you forgive me and would you help me by the power of your Holy Spirit live out this agape community where I do to others what you have done for me and to me. And I thank you for your grace. Father, we're so glad that you're still in the business of transforming hearts and lives. So as we go today, Father, would you go with us? Would your spirit go with us in such a way that we are the church? And Lord, wherever we go, may you go. Wherever we show up, may you show up. Your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece. In your name we pray, amen. Well, it's been so great to have you worship with us today, and we'd love to personally check in and connect with you. So know that you can email Pastor James at james at salemfields.com anytime, or you can also email info at salemfields.com to schedule a time to talk to a pastor. Know that we would love to connect with you. And just a reminder that we're going to be having our deeper dive on Facebook Live on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. And that's a chance where, for Pastor James to dive a little bit deeper into his message and some of the things that he brought up this past week. Well, that's all I have for you today. So remember, don't get caught up in the blame game this week and be a light to those around you. So God bless. Have a great week. And we hope to see you again soon.